أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤده حفظهما وهو العلي العظيم صدق الله العظيم Ayatul Kursi We're going to be completing insha'a ta'ala the tafsir of Ayatul Kursi First, a bit of review. Can someone tell me one of the virtues of Ayatul Kursi? Yes. Very good. It is the greatest ayah in the Quran. Bismillah. It is the greatest ayah in the Quran. And the hadith is there of the hadith from Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Ubay ibn Ka'ab was one of the companions. You should know this name. There are certain companions. We should be familiar with their names. Of course, the four Khulaf al-Rashidun, which we went over with in the last series. But also... Some of the other companions known for certain things. Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu an was known for Quran, was known for his knowledge of the Quran. In fact, the Prophet told the companions, learn the Quran from four. And amongst the four he mentioned was Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Excellent. Another virtue. Yes. MashaAllah. Excellent. Very good. If you read it, after every salah, then there's nothing between that person and paradise except death. And that's incredible when you think about all the barriers and the mawani'ah, the barriers from a person from death all the way to Jannah. You know, when you study the akhirah and the hereafter, there's so many trials and situations and difficulties. So for the Prophet to say, all that is in between the person and paradise is death, means that this person will be free from all of the subsequent trials after death, including the time in the grave and the time waiting for the day of judgment. How long is it? How long are the people going to be waiting for the day of judgment to start? Yes? 50,000 years. 50,000 years. But for the believers, it will be like between some of the ancients say between Dhuhr and Asr or the amount of time it takes to pray Dhuhr Salah or Asr Salah, four raka'ah. That's how long it will be. And so there's a relativity of time in the next life. And so this is a huge, uh, beautiful point here. And so all these trials will be removed. And we spoke about it. It's not just about saying it. That's obviously part of it. That's the prerequisite. But the idea is that a person who's constantly reminding themselves of the meaning of Ayatul Kursi throughout the day, then they will transform their hearts into people who will be receiving this mercy by Allah Azza wa Jalla. Okay, yes, 
Verse of protection. What do you mean by that? Excellent. A verse of protection. Whoever recites it before going to bed, Allah sends a hafil. Allah sends a hafil, which is a protector, likely from the angels, of course, who will protect that person from demonic forces throughout the entire day and will be a general protector for them. Excellent. Okay, when to recite Ayatul Kursi? We went over these morning, evening, before bed, and after every salah. Now, we've actually broken down Ayatul Kursi into nine different sections. Nine different sections, right? There are nine statements, yes? Okay, so nine parts, nine parts of Ayatul Kursi that we've divided this ayah into. There's nine phrases that are mentioned, nine fragments. We went over last week this statement here. Allahu la ilaha illa hu. Allah is the first name of Allah that's mentioned in Ayatul Kursi of the five names that are mentioned in this one verse. And the name Allah is, of course, the proper name of Allah. It is the name, the primary name of Allah. It is the name that all other qualities and names go back to. Because Allah, of course, can be derived from Al-Ilah. The name Allah, rather, Laftul Jalal, can be derived from Al-Ilah. And Ilah, the ulama, they differ. The lugat, the, the grammarians and the linguists, they differ as to the derivation of this word. Some say that it can be from uh, a meaning of that which is worshipped, others say that which is astounded or that which confuses the mind, not confuses, that which amazes the mind. There are these different meanings that are there within the name Allah itself. The one that is worshipped is the one that generally speaking, most of the ulama seem to posit as the meaning of the name Allah. That is Al-Ilah, the, the one that is worshipped. And the reason, the connection between all the names of Allah and the one that is worshipped is, it is only the ones who have the name, it is only the ones who have the perfect qualities, it is only the one that has the perfect qualities that can actually be worshipped. It is only the one that has the perfect qualities that is worthy of worship. And so the name Allah includes all of the perfect names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we went over la ilaha illa hu. Now we did go and break up into groups and we did kind of go through these particular uh, aspects that there's a different flavor that comes with reciting Ayatul Kursi at these different times. Like there's a reason Allah put that we're meant to recite Ayatul Kursi at these different times. There's a reason why this is legislated. And there's a different flavor, there's a different spirit at different times. There's a different psychology behind it. We're at different points in the day. We would have just completed different things. And so then Ayatul Kursi and the phrases within Ayatul Kursi will hit differently throughout the day as you go through the day. Okay, Bismillah. We left off at Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Two names of Allah that are mentioned here. Al-Hayy Al-Qayyum. Al-Hayy is the one with perfect life. The one that has no defect in their life. In particular, the one whose life is not preceded by non-existence and will not be preceded by non-existence. He is Al-Hayy, he is the first and he is the last. Al-Hayy is the one that is of the most perfect and beautiful, uh, is the one with the most perfect and beautiful life. Now, Al-Hayy is different than the life that we experience here or the life that animals experience here. Because the life that animals experience and the life that we experience is limited. We are limited in our life. Why? Because when it comes to our experience of life, it is influenced by the fluctuation of our moods. 
how we'll experience something, how we live in a particular moment is influenced by our mood. It's influenced by our level of consciousness as well, based on how much sleep you would have gotten, if you're tired or if you're sleepy. It's limited as well by the limitations of our perceptions. We can't see beyond a particular narrow spectrum in the very wide electromagnetic spectrum of, of the light spectrum, essentially. We can only see within a particular wavelength. So we can't see infrared, for instance. We can't see what's beyond these light spectrums. We can only see what's limited. Hearing, when we experience in hearing, we can only hear within certain decibels. So at every moment's time, when you're living a moment in life, like right now, when you're looking at me right now, and you're in this moment of life here, you're experiencing this, you're living this moment. But your living of this moment is so limited. You don't see the reality that is actually around here. You, they only know the apparent and the superficial of this world. There is angels, inshallah ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this gathering a gathering of the angels. I mean, there are angels here of incredible magnitude. There may be some shayateen lurking around, whispering into people's ears different things, different thoughts. There may be other things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, the way in which this is all structured how this would look in multiple dimensions. There are so many things that we have no access to. Our life is very limited. Our life is very limited. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's life has none of these restrictions. It's not bound by time as well. We have to wait the moments to pass for us to see what happens five minutes from now. We have to wait for five minutes. This is the limitation of our life. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Hay. And the second name is Al-Qayyum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-qayyum, meaning that he is the one who is qa'imun bi-nafsi. He sustains himself. He doesn't depend on anyone. His existence is not dependent on any other existence. And this is a refutation of the philosophers. The philosophers said that the universe and God are co-eternal. That they depend upon each other. But al-qayyum means everything that exists is dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this of course as well, is a critical name when we talk about the issue of the crucifixion of, the supposed crucifixion of Jesus as well. If God were to die, then who would be running the universe? Allah is al-qayyum, meaning everything that exists can only exist because Allah is sustaining it. Because Allah is sustaining it. And so Al-Qayyum is the one who is self-sustaining and the one who sustains everything else. Now, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, when we say these two names, which by the way we mentioned last class, some of the ulama, including Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Al-Qayyum, and as well others said that Al-Hayyul Qayyum is the Ismul A'adham. This phrase Al-Hayyul Qayyum is the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this greatest name of Allah is special because if you make dua to Allah with it, then it is a guaranteed accepted dua. Al-Hayyul Qayyum. So Allah la ilaha illa huwa al-Hayyul Qayyum. Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Now as we spoke about, we don't just want to know the meanings up here, but we want the meanings to sink in to our hearts. So what are some of the action points here? What are some of the action points here? When you look at the name Al-Hay and how it was used in the Quran, you see that it is connected to Tawakkul. It is connected to Tawakkul. Does anyone know the verse that connects Al-Hay to Tawakkul? 
Excellent. وتوكل على ال... وتوكل على الحي الذي لا يموت. Excellent. You get a pen. Bismillah. There you go. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, the verse in uh, Surah. Do you know which Surah? Furqan. Surah Al-Furqan. 25th Surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala links the concept of tawakkul with al-hay, the name al-hay. And so this is the first action point for us. That when we think about al-hay, it should inspire in the heart this spark of tawakkul. What is tawakkul? Tawakkul is reliance upon Allah. Tawakkul is reliance upon Allah. And we can understand the connection. Why is Allah mentioning al-hay and mentioning tawakkul and particularly al-hay? He explains after, al-hay alladhi la yamut. The one who will never die. The one who will never disappoint. The one who has none of the restrictions that we may have amongst each other. And so all the other means that we may be searching after to try and achieve something or to try to avert some harm or to try to get out of a situation that we're in or to try to push through. All of these negative situations, anywhere we look to, everything and everyone can potentially let us down. Either actual betrayal from a morally kind of vicious point of view or simply because of their limitations they can only go so far they have limited resources they only have so much money they only have so much time to listen to you they only have so much bandwidth within their hearts to absorb all the pain and trauma that you may be trying to offload whatever it may be you yourself have your own limitation and resources that's why allah says in the quran that you place your reliance and your tawakkul and your dependency, you leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You leave it to who? Al-Hay, the one with perfect life, perfection from every angle, the one who will never die, the one that will never leave you, the one that will never disappoint you. That is where we place our heart towards. Now the term tawakkul, it is, encompasses two separate activities. One of them is, and this is the foundation of it, ta'alluq billah, where you connect yourself with Allah. Thiqa billah, your optimism and your confidence is rooted with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you're confident Allah will help you. You're confident that Allah will make a way out for you. You're confident in Allah's plan. This is one aspect of tawakkul. The second aspect of tawakkul is ittikhad al-asbab. Taking the means, the worldly means, the actual natural means to achieve whatever you're looking for. And so in Islam, we're not meant to be fatalistic and we're not meant to be passive where we sit down and we say, oh, I trust in Allah and Allah will take care of me. And then we don't do the actual work that's required to be able to achieve that. And so in Islam, the second aspect here of taking the means. And this was asked to the Prophet once. That when we come to the masjid, should we tie the uh, legs of our camels together? Or should we leave it and put our tawakkul on Allah that it won't run away? And the Prophet ﷺ said, you will tie the camel and put your tawakkul in Allah. Tie the camel and put your tawakkul in Allah. Both of them come together and holistically is tawakkul. And the point is this. Many times people don't try. They don't try to work on their dreams and their goals and their ambitions. Why? Because of fear, because they think they're going to fail, because they think it's not going to happen, so why bother even trying? A lot of people think this way. And then they'll replace their lack of trying or their lack of 
uh, or their or their or their sense of their lack of self-esteem or self-efficacy or confidence in themselves or whatever it may be, and they replace it with, "Oh, Allah will Allah will give it to me," kind of just magically, just I'll sit here and I'll come to me. But in reality, they are not confident in Allah. If they were confident in Allah, then they would be confident to take the means, and they would be confident that those means would lead to where they're headed towards. It would give them a great strength and empowerment to be able to take the means that they previously thought they weren't strong enough to do. They weren't strong enough to go through whatever difficulty or difficult situation they had to go through. They weren't strong enough to go through the toil and the struggle of whatever it may be that a person's trying to do. Whether it's starting, in a worldly sense, starting a business, trying to make an income, trying to study, trying to achieve this, trying to finish a person's hib, for example, whatever it may be. Now with tawakkul in Allah, they're confident as they walk in this world, Allah is there by their side with His help and aid and nusra. That is the essence of tawakkul. Now, when there is no asbab, when you've exhausted every single worldly means that you could possibly think of, when you've made so much dua, you've tried to bring people and reconcile back together in the family, you've tried to do whatever it is with your mom and your dad maybe that may be having difficulties at home, you've tried your best with your parents, you've tried your best to uh, to try and make whatever situation better than it was before for the sake of Allah, for goodness, you've tried your best. And you may have exhausted everything. At that point, there's a step higher than tawakkul at this point. Once you've done this, but the first step that's required is tawakkul first. And then after that, it's called tafweed. Tafweed. Where there's nothing left, nowhere left to go. Everything is completely black in front of you. You can't even think, where else, where is the next step that I can go? Everything seems to be crashing down behind you. Tafweed. And this comes from the story of Musa salam and Fir'aun. It was actually not Musa, but it was a person from the people of Fir'aun. A person from the people of Fir'aun, min Ali Fir'aun, yaktubu imana. He would hide his faith. And after he essentially came out with his faith, and he knew what that meant, that he went on this monologue, read the monologue of this individual in Surah Al-Ghafir, beautiful monologue towards his people, talking about the truth of what Musa came with, the fear that he had of Allah, and how they needed to change their ways. And at the end he said, because he knew that this means death, وَأُفَوِّذُ أَمْرِي إِلَى اللَّهِ and I resign my affair to Allah. Resignation of the affair to Allah completely. That's tafweed. But that comes after exhausting everything. Then the true trust in Allah comes when it doesn't seem like it's rationally possible. It's crazy. It's audacious to think that you'd be able to get to wherever you wanted to get to, to be able to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish, for reality to shift itself in a way that would be beneficial or better for you, the family, whatever it may be. The burning fire of faith inside the heart in Al-Hayy, in Al-Qayyum. That it is Allah that has every resource that we could possibly think of at His fingers. That it is Allah that everything depends upon. Then this is tafweed. Then this is the higher level of relying upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we ought to feel comforted when we 
put everything to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, in, just in the worldly day-to-day, -day, how we speak to each other, if you're in a bad situation, say for instance, you're in a bad situation, you've got like 12 demerit points, about to take your, uh, your, your, your driver's license away, I'm not speaking from personal experience at all. Um, and then some lawyer or some police officer, some QPS high-level person comes. This certainly didn't happen to me. <laughs> comes and says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. How are you going to feel at that moment? You're the verge of having your license completely suspended. And now you have this person who says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. How are you going to feel? The relief you'll feel. Why? Because this person, high-level person, he has the ability to do whatever he wants to do, and he's looking out for me. Good. He's shown that he you know, wants some goodness for me for whatever reason it might be. And so you feel, okay, great. I've left it to this person. Then how is it then when the Lord of the worlds, the creator of everything, the sustainer of all, the master of the universe, the one to all the treasures and the keys of everything goes back to, is asking you, give it to me. That burden that you carry on your shoulders, just give it to me. Whoever relies upon Allah, Allah is enough for him. Allah says in Surah Zumar, Is Allah not enough for His servants? Imagine then the feeling of calmness when a person has truly realized what they've done, when they make their dua to Allah and they say, Allah, I leave this to you. I've done whatever I can do, but I've left everything else to you. Imagine the feeling of tranquility that comes. And so if you have, if you're, it's in a difficult time in your life or something happened in the day, because if something happened in the day, I mean, we're reciting it eight times in the day, it's likely in the next hour or so you're going to be reciting this ayah, inshallah. Then let you, when you get to these names, Allahu la ilaha illa al hayyul qayyum, you're now reconnecting with al hayyul qayyum. Let that shed away that burden and that weight that we carry amongst ourselves. لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم. لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم. So, this is a very interesting phrase here, and it's very heavily emphasized. So here is negation. So Allah subhanahu wa taala first was what well started with affirmation. Al Hayyul Qayyum. Allah is Al Hayyul Qayyum. Now we have, now we have negation. Now we have negation, and so negation. Here is, what is he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negating? Allah is negating his, I'm so bad at multitasking. Allah is, what is Allah negating? His sleep, very good. Sleep and any tiredness. And actually first Allah says, لا تأخذه سنة. And sinna here is referring to the period of time before a person sleeps. So like that weariness, that tiredness that a person may experience. Like not fatigue, that will come a bit later. But that sense of, I'm about to go to sleep, that feeling of sleepiness. لا تأخذه سنة. That doesn't happen to Allah. ولا نوم. 
and nor does sleep overcome him. Now the ulama and the mufassirun, they comment, they say, wait a second, if Allah has negated that he doesn't get sleepy, then obviously he won't sleep either. If you're not even going to get sleepy, then bil'awla, then sleep won't be there as well. And so they mention that this is for further emphasis. And also, Allah could have said, لا تأخذه سينتهم Like neither of them, sleep nor tiredness, you know, uh, overtakes him. But here Allah emphasizes and says, لا تأخذه سينتهم So the negation is twice actually. So it's further emphasized. And this description comes right after Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Right after Allah mentions that, he is of the perfect life. Now usually, if you look at the way Allah describes Himself in the Qur'an, this is an interesting theological point. The majority of the description of Allah is what? Negation or affirmation? Affirming things to Allah, the names of Allah, His attributes and His qualities, right? Rarely does Allah negate things, but Allah does negate things. And when He does negate, it's usually for a reason. Why? Because of course, if you're praising someone, you don't do it by negating a whole bunch of things. Like, oh, you're not a bad person, and um, you're not smelly, you're not stinky, you're not, uh, you know, unkept, you're not ugly. Like, that's not a way that you praise someone, right? In fact, it almost kind of makes it seem like, well, why, why are you keep negating these particular things from me, right? What are people saying? But, so that's why in the Qur'an, the pattern is more affirming His, 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 his grandeur and His majesty. But when Allah negates things, it's for a reason. Either it's a general negation. Now general negations are actually, we use them to praise people with. So we say, the room was spotless. It's a general negation and that's a praiseworthy term, right? Or even immaculate is a term that's actually negating imperfections. And so general negations are things that are actually praiseworthy. And so Allah will generally negate things as well. There is nothing similar to Him at all. This is a praiseworthy thing. Like you're a one of a kind. There's no one else like you, right? That's a praiseworthy thing. When Allah will, why will Allah specifically negate things? If other people are, if other people are wrongfully affirming those things about him. So what is one of the main things Allah constantly negates in the Quran frequently? doesn't negate his oneness, that he affirms his oneness. Yes? Excellent! And why do you think that's a common theme? If you look at that, they have this concept of God and his son and this family of God and whatnot. So Allah frequently negates the existence of a son or a daughter or children or whatever it may be. Okay? Now, here, is this a general, is this a general negation or is this a specific negation? This is a specific negation, right? Specifically, very specific, That's, that state of tiredness before you go to sleep, that's very particular. And sleep itself. Why is Allah negating this? Why is Allah negating this? Yes. Of course, we, we know that. Yes, 100%. But why? We talked about how if there's a specific thing that's negated, there's a reason for it. Because it's usually not a praiseworthy thing to say, oh, you don't get sleepy, you don't get tired. Yes. Excellent. What was it that is in the worldview to this day of the Jews and the Christians as well? That Allah created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And this verse comes in which surah? 
which surah is Ayatul Kursi and guys, come on. Surah Al-Baqarah, Jazakum Khairan. And Surah Al-Baqarah is primarily addressed to which faith group? The Bani Israel. And so this ayah actually contains from it a response to them. That he is Al-Hayyul Qayyum. And if they didn't get the point of Al-Hayyul Qayyum, the perfect living and whatnot, it's further emphasized from this. La Like spelling it out for them. He is Al-Hayy and Al-Qayyum. There's no way, there's no chance that there would be any sense of tiredness or sleepiness or any of these sorts of things. Uh, so action points from this one. What do you guys think? Action points from here. I know last time we broke into groups, but just in, this, in the interest of time, we have the open mic as well coming. I don't want to go too over time. So we'll just keep it a bit didactic if you will indulge me with this, but I need your participation. If you say this in the morning, or if you say this any time, what's your general reflection from this? Yes. SubhanAllah. That's amazing. As you said, most people overnight, you look at them at night shift. For anyone who's worked night shift, they're dead, they're tired. They've maybe even taken a, a, you know, a bit of a cheeky nap here and there in between wherever they need to go to. And they're not able to sustain themselves. And they're not able to help very much as well. And they don't really want to either. Is of course extolling the greatness of Allah and His perfect life. And at the other end, from our point of view, it's like, you know, if someone tells you, hey, you can call me anytime, anytime, two in the morning, three in the morning, doesn't matter. How close you feel with that person, right? I feel like, oh, it's so nice of that person. Anytime I can call this person. Allah is 24-7. There's no time where it's like, no, this is the time you can't call upon Allah. This is the time Allah is not going to help you. No, at every moment, Allah is Al-Qayyum towards you. Even when you're unconscious, asleep in your most vulnerable moments. Who's been protecting you that entire time? You wake up in the morning and you say, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum la ta'khuduhu siratan wa la nawm. What did you just do? You were just tired and you slept and you slept like a baby or maybe not slept that much. Then you woke up and you're tired because you didn't get enough sleep. And then you realize, subhanAllah, the greatness of Allah. La ta'khuduhu siratan wa la nawm. And you realize in that time that I was sleeping, Allah was sustaining me. Every heartbeat, every breath, all of my vital organs, whatever it may have been, Allah was completely taking care of me in that time. Okay. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ So it went from uh, affirmation to negation, now back to affirmation. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ This is the mulkiyah of Allah. The mulkiyah of Allah or the milkiyah of Allah. The dominion of Allah or the ownership of Allah. That to Allah belongs everything that is in the heavens and everything that's in the earth. Again, further emphasis. This ayah is hyperbolized or, emphasized or, 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 or heavily emphasized. It could have been Whatever is in the heavens and the earth. But it's whatever is in the heavens, whatever is in the earth. And it's not man, whoever, which would then be limited to just individual sentient beings. It's ma, whatever it is. Sentient, non-sentient, animal, human, you know, inanimate objects, atoms, particles, gases, liquids, fluids, solid states, energy, quantum, whatever it may be. Every single thing, everything in the heavens and samawat, plural, not sama, singular, samawat, plural. And we know that this whole universe, however large the universe is, they say 14 billion light years, wallahu ta'ala alam, and it's ever expanding. This is just sama'ud dunya. 
This is just the lowest heaven. Then there's Samawat beyond this. And other universes, and other, other, other galaxies, whatever it may be, other realities. This is all there. And so, lahuma fi samawati wa ma fil ard. And this is a motif or a quality that is very emphasized in the Quran. Wallahi ma fi samawati ma fil ard. Allah will continually go back to this point. Now, why does Allah repeat Himself in the Quran? Often it's because what's the reason why parents have to repeat themselves to kids? Because they don't listen, right? Because they don't listen. So you repeat yourself. You repeat yourself. Isn't it bedtime? Isn't it bedtime now? When's your bedtime? Or, hey, I told you, no phones in the table. What did I say? No phones at the table. No phones at the table. Over and over again. Meaning what? That person's not getting it. So when Allah is saying this over and over again, it sounds like a simple point. I mean, most people and most religions would even affirm that. Yeah. To Allah belongs everything. Even atheists, even people who have no religion, they'll say, there's some higher power that this all kind of belongs to. Why is Allah constantly repeating this? Because we may know it in here, but it has not come to here. And that's an important point. So much of the grief that we have is because we don't internalize Because we think we have ownership of things. We think those things were ours. When we lost something, we think it was ours to begin with. But actually, even people themselves as well. That's why when something, a calamity happens, what do we say? We have to remind ourselves, we all belong to Allah. And we will all return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is where we came from and we're going to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a very important creedal point for us that actually is relevant to so many different issues that people are facing in their life from a mental or a psychological point of view. If people were to be able to internalize this point that everything belongs to Allah, then it will help them when it comes to dealing with uncertainties of the future. Because who does the future belong to? Allah. Who does that person you're upset with? Who's their owner? Who's their maker? Who's the one that's the owner of the destiny? Allah. Shouldn't we be comforted by the fact that it is Allah who is in complete control? It is Allah that owns everything? Now, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَنْ So here, we are negating the existence of intercessors except with Allah. So, lahuma fi samawatuma fi ard had to do with the ownership of Allah, the milkiya of Allah, the ownership of Allah. So, Allah owns everything. Now, that would encompass as well, it should encompass authority as well. But here they're separated because they're two different things. You see, you can own a plot of land, but you can have people who've just taken it over and do whatever they please in it, and you can't control them to do whatever you don't want there to be done. You can't control the fact, you own the land, but you know, the rats are there, the possums are there, all these uh, you know, uh, pests are there, and they're running amok, and they're eating your structures, they're eating your house. You have no actual full authority. Sure, you own it, you have the deed, but you don't have authority. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes his ownership, and then the second thing, authority. Authority. No one can intercede with Allah. There's no one that's like a lesser God or a sub-God or someone who has some independent 
portion of this world that can make their own independent decisions. No one can intercede before Allah except with Allah's permission. So Allah has ultimate authority. So first Allah has complete ownership, now Allah has complete authority. And so this is very freeing when we start to realize that everything that we are fearing in this world, we don't need to fear because those things are owned by Allah and Allah has complete authority over them. Like you know when you have like a, a rabbit dog. I, you know one time actually when I was in Turkey, I was, uh, um, I was hiking in, in uh, one of these uh, mountain places in Cappadocia. And there was this, uh, we were just walking through. It was like a public uh, walking path. Like it wasn't some off the track, you know, uh, out of the blue, like out in the middle of nowhere type of thing. This was something that was on like highly rated and stuff and online and whatnot. And so I'm walking through the path. And then apparently I come across someone's property and there's a guard dog that's unleashed. And the dog comes running down the hill and he's going right after us. And I'm like, subhanAllah. I just see this massive dog coming towards us. And so I said, okay, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go the other way. You know, they say you're not supposed to panic or run or anything like this. And I actually, we started reading Ayatul Kursi. <laughs> Funny enough, we started reading Ayatul Kursi. And then subhanAllah, the dog basically was at us. I was feeling it at my legs as we're just walking slowly away, away. Then we got to a point and then the, the dog basically just kind of marked almost a spot and then was like really intimidating and, and barking and whatnot. And then as we kept moving, then he went back. So clearly that was his territory. For some reason, it's part of this public national park for, this, for, <laughs> for the city. But anyways, um, so, but what was interesting is if there was an owner that had a leash on the dog, and he was still barking and all this stuff. I wouldn't have been afraid at all. Oh yeah, he's on a leash and it's owned by this guy. Right? That's the same thing about the things we fear about life. They're like these barking dogs that come at us and we're afraid we get intimidated. But realize everything is in the leash of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything's under the control, dominion and authority of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing can harm you or hurt you except if it is by the permission of Allah subhanahu so this concept of shafa'a, by the way, so I won't go too much detail into this. It's not a class about the akhirah, but there are multiple forms of shafa'a. The shafa'a in this dunya and the shafa'a in the akhirah. The shafa'a in this dunya can be things, for instance, like, and permissible shafa'a I'm talking about, permissible shafa'a, because there's certainly impermissible shafa'a, the shafa'a that could be considered shirk and idolatry. Like, when the pagans would worship these idols, they would say, Ma We don't worship them except that we want to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this type of shafa'a is of course impermissible. Shirk and takes a person outside the fold of Islam. But there is shafa'a that is permissible. There is shafa'a that is permissible. You guys tell me, what's a shafa'a that's permissible in this world? Salawat? you're not really asking someone for intercession when you, you're making dua to Allah actually for the Prophet That's tawassul, that's different than shafa'a. Tawassul you're thinking about perhaps. Tawassul are the means that we take in this world to come closer to Allah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ibtaghu wasilatan, that uh, um, look for a wasila to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and of them are things like making salawat upon the Prophet brings you closer and more beloved to Allah. Calling out by Allah by these different names and attributes is a form of tawassul. 
um, mentioning a deed that you've done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the past is a form of tawassul. Um, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a form of tawassul. These are all the forms of tawassul. This is different than shafa'a. Shafa'a, what's a permissible form of shafa'a of intercession in this world? Yes. That's not shafa'a, that's asking Allah directly. Shafa'a is when there's someone in between. Shafa'a is when there's someone in between. Yes. Excellent. Barakallah fiki. Permissible shafa'a in this world is when you ask a person to make dua for you. You ask someone else to make dua for you. Now, is it better that you ask pious people, imams, people you think are pious, your parents, to make dua for you? Or is it better that you ask Allah and don't ask anyone to make dua for you? I hear both directly, go through the pious people. So, the ulama, they say, without a doubt, a person that exercises full tawakkul on Allah and doesn't mention his needs to other people and goes directly to Allah and through no one else, this is a station that is the highest. Having said that, the Prophet ﷺ once, when Umar was going to for Umrah, he said to Umar La tansana fi du'aikum. Or fi du'aik. Don't forget us in your prayers. SubhanAllah. The Prophet is saying this to Umar. Now the ulama, they derive from this. Number one, then you can't say that asking other people to make du'a for you is problematic or lesser because the Prophet did it. And in fact, now it becomes a sunnah to ask people. But here's the difference. There's a difference between saying, oh, I have this really big problem. I have this huge mortgage that I have to pay off and I have all these debts and everything like this. Can you please ask Allah? I really need this job. Really, I, I really need this job. Can you ask Allah that Allah give me this job? There's a difference between this and, hey, remembering your du'as, brother. Two very different things. A general remembrance. And the scholars, they say, the reason is because in the, in the first one, in the former, you are showing some level of dependence and humility towards another creation. Now, it's not shirk or haram or anything, but it's not the higher level. And you are kind of opening up with them and these sorts of things, and you're hoping through them. So, it's not the highest level. Now, when it comes to the other one, when you just say, hey, don't forget us in your du'as, you don't mention anything specific, it's a general reminder. This is actually something that is recommended. Why? It's interesting. Ibn Taymiyyah says, because you're actually reminding them to do a good deed. Because when he makes dua for other people, then the angels say ameen to him. So it's actually not that you're trying to get a dua out of them, it's that you're reminding them to do a good deed in their duas, which is include other people in your duas. Remember us in your duas. Remember us in your duas when you're going for there. Remember all of us in your duas in a general sense. That is the sunnah of the Prophet It doesn't go against tawakkul and it doesn't go against individual kind of reliance upon Allah. For specific things, go directly to Allah. And if you wish to remind someone, hey, remember us all in your du'as, that's fine. It's from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So that's in this world. Shafa'a in this world. Now, shafa'a in the next life is of course multiple. And all of them of course are by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has the ultimate authority here. And no one will be able to intercede and no one will be interceded for except whom Allah is pleased with. If Allah is pleased with both the intercessor and the one being interceded upon. So you might think, well, what's the point of intercession if Allah has to be pleased with both of them? The point is, it's a means of honoring the intercessor. That look at your status on this day in the court of Allah. I've put you into the status of intercessor. It's a way of honoring and raising the people who will be able to do that. And it is a rahmah to the people who are interceded for. Allah, it's a vehicle that Allah chooses 
for them, for them to receive his rahmah. In this way, that honors certain people. The prophets, the righteous, the martyrs, all these types of people will be granted the ability to intercede for people that they choose in this world. And this is obviously a point, an action point for us, is of course to associate with good and righteous people. That good and righteous person might be boring, might not be as fun, might not be as exciting. But at a time when things are going to be dire, you want them to be remembering you on their like fave five list or on their or on their on their on their ten on their on their on the ten that they have. You want them to be thinking about you. And those people that were fun and exciting, but you know, took you away from the remembrance of Allah, even if they be Muslim, but didn't really, you know, remind you of Allah, their gatherings were not full of the remembrance of Allah or thinking about the Ummah or productive in any particular way, and it was just kind of taking you away and away and away. Those are the people that aren't going to be of any benefit to you in the next life when only Allah only Allah is the one who can uh, authorize any intercession. Okay. He knows what is either in front of them and, uh, and after them or before them and after them. There's different ways in which you can look at it. Um, Ibn Abbas said, actually means the past. Allah knows the past and Allah knows the future. Allah knows the future. Now, the idea here, what is Allah referring to? So first, we spoke about his general names and attributes, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, a specific negation. Then, he owns everything. Then, he has authority of everything. Now it is, Allah knows everything. And by the way, these are all the attributes of his perfect life. These are the attributes of his perfect life. As they say, all the sifat dhatiyyah, all the essential attributes, they're called sifat dhatiyyah. The attributes that describe the essence of Allah, they all go back to Al-Hayy. They all go back to Al-Hayy. All of the attributes described as essence, his azmah, his greatness, his transcendence, his uh, beauty, his strength, all of these are the sifat dhatiyyah, the intrinsic qualities of the essence of Allah. All of this goes back to Al-Hayy. And all the sifat fi'liyah, all of the qualities of his actions, sifat fi'liyah, these go back to Al-Qayyum. The fact that he's the sustainer of everything, including himself, they go back to Qayyum. So sifat fi'liyah and dhatiyyah are both there. Now, يَعْلَمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفُهُمْ He knows what is uh, before them and what is after. Allah knows the past, present, and future. And so, with this, of course, when we know that Allah has perfect ilm and perfect knowledge of things, then this is, of course, something that we have to trust Him when it comes to His plan. When things happen in life, we have to recognize that our knowledge is limited and Allah's knowledge of everything is much more. We might have thought we wanted something, but we don't know what it would have led to. We don't know all the other factors and variables that are around that situation that doesn't make that particular venture beneficial to you. So it's very important for us to reflect and to internalize the deep ilm and the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنْ عِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَا شَاءٍ And they encompass nothing of his knowledge except for what he wills. And so this is any knowledge anyone knows can only know by the permission of Allah. And of course, it's also referring to issues of the ghayb, like the prophets who may have access to certain aspects of the ghayb. 
Allah reveals to whom He wishes this aspect and this knowledge. And so knowledge of Him is from the tawfiq of Allah, by the Mashiach of Allah. It's not just something random and arbitrary. You were chosen to know Allah. You know how many people who are out there who don't know Allah? How many people don't know their Lord? How many people don't know their Creator? How many people don't know their purpose in life? How many people go through this life without that knowledge? That knowledge was particularly chosen for you. Because illa bimasha. No one can know anything about him, about his prophet, about his angels, about the last day. So that we can prepare for it, about his qadr. So that we can get through the difficulties and the makarih of life. Except with his will. So any knowledge we have, realize that is the greatest blessing that Allah has blessed you with, is knowledge of him and knowledge of this deen. Because from that knowledge stems everything else. From the seed of that knowledge stems all the branches and the fruits of the actions and the emotions and the connections and all these things that come forward from the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen for you to be able to learn about. Because Allah and His names are from the, are from the ghaib. And He's revealed from this ghaib in the Qur'an and revelation for us to learn. And so that's why it's so important for us, by the way, we talk about gratitude and these sorts of things. It's very important for us to be grateful. Okay. The kursi extends over the heavens and the earth. Now, what is the kursi? The ulama, they differ. Some say they are, is a separate creation to the arsh. It's a separate creation to the arsh. And some say it's referring to the arsh itself. What is the arsh? The arsh is the throne of Allah. The kursi linguistically would be like if there's a, a throne, then there's like another kursi that's right here that you can sit on. It's like a stool, basically, like a stool. And so in, in the royal sense, people will have a arsh or a throne and a kursi, an arsh and a kursi. So Allah says his kursi. Now, Allah create, this is a creation of Allah. It's not part of Allah. These are two creations of Allah. These are two of the grandest creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his arsh and his kursi. Now, Allah says the kursi extends and encompasses the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. It encompasses all of it. It encompasses all of it. Now, there's a narration that's very mind-boggling, subhanAllah, and it's very mind-blowing, really. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. And it's the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, Verily, the size of, and there's different renditions of it, and I'll give you one of them. The size of this Sama'ud Dunya, which as we said was 14 billion light years, as the scientists say, maybe even more, and is continuing to expand. This Sama'ud Dunya, in relation to the second heaven, is like a ring in the desert. And then the second heaven, in relation to the third heaven, is like a ring in a desert. And so on and so on and so on. Until then the seventh heaven, in relation to the kursi, is like a ring in a desert. And then the kursi, in relation to the arsh, is like a ring in the desert. And then of course, Ar-Rahmanu ala al-arsh istawa. What is the name that Allah chose to use when he said he was over his throne. 
in multiple places of the Qur'an. There's no other name other than the name Allah. There's no other name Allah uses to describe that He is above the Arsh other than Ar-Rahman. Is that not enough to indicate to us the immense, innumerable, unimaginable Rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That the name He chose to describe over the Arsh, which is over all of creation, is Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahmanu ala al-Arsh istawa. It's not by accident, it's not arbitrary. You would think that Allah would choose a name of His power and of His might. Al-Azizu ala al-Arsh istawa. That the mighty is the one who is over the great throne. No, Allah chooses Ar-Rahman. The merciful, compassionate, entirely all-encompassingly merciful. He is the one who is over the Arsh. And this is a very important point for us because, because, especially in modern living, you may argue, it pushes us to be cynical and pessimistic for many reasons. Number one, because when you go onto social media, there's a very much polarizing push when it comes to our minds and our viewpoints of things. So everything's in extremes, right? Everything's in extremes. So it makes us very cynical and distrustful of things. Because we're always antagonistic towards the other side. And we think the other side, in whatever debate, is the most evil thing, is influencing all these things and is out to get us. This polarization occurs. And then of course as well, the negativity and pessimism that's there because of the large amounts of people who have become godless and faithless in this world. And so then what is their outlook in this world? It's not rahmah. Their outlook is pain and suffering, existential angst. Life is suffering. Life is pointless. Life is meaningless. Sometimes, and they'll, they'll swear, sometimes, you know, this happens. That's what they'll say all the time, right? And they're trying to counsel someone and say, look, that's really bad. Yeah, there's no point to it. Yeah, it's awful. And you're allowed to feel awful. It's like, where's the hope of that? Oh, it helps the person feel better because they're feeling bad. So then they don't feel bad with the fact that they're feeling bad. No, this is that pain is meant to push a person on their journey of faith, not just keep them there for no apparent reason at all. There's no good reason for them to feel better about things or to feel better about the future. But for a believer, we have to believe this. We have to believe this. That in the future in store for us and collectively of this world, is rahmah. Because Allah is the one in charge. Allah is the owner. Allah is the one who is, has complete authority. And Allah's arsh is over everything. And Allah's mashi'ah, His will, his uh, decisions are based on his names and attributes. They're based on his hikmah, his wisdom. They're based on his rahmah. And they're based on his justice. His will and the things he creates in this world is not arbitrary at all. Everything that happens is for the reason of his mercy, of his wisdom, of his justice. There is goodness there. That is the perpetual optimism of the believer. The believer is perpetually optimistic in their life. There is not a thing that they can look at and say, yeah, that thing, maybe, yeah, that one is outside of everything else. No, even the most horrific things that you can't even imagine. Even if you cannot understand the specific wisdom, you believe generally that there was a wisdom. You believe generally that there's a rahmah and there's a mercy for us to extract. That is what it means to believe in ar-Rahman. وَرَبُّنَا الرَّحْمَانِ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Ar-Rahman. 
He is our Rahman. We believe in that. We believe that Allah is in our Rahman. And so it's not allowed for the believer to be pessimistic, to be cynical in these regards. But rather he looks to the future with that light that's there in the tunnel because he knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge and Allah is ar-Rahman. And his kursi extends over everything. Okay. وَلَا يَؤُودُهُ حِفْظُهُمَا Second last point here. And his protection over everything, his protection over everything, so not only does Allah own everything, is the authority of everything, know everything that's happening, but Allah protects everything. Every little thing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is its hafil, protecting it from harm. We don't know because we don't have access to the ghayb. How many things that could have harmed us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala diverted us away from? We don't know. How many things because you woke up and you prayed Fajr today, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala diverted a catastrophic pay, uh, uh, car crash. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala diverted something, uh, a disease coming to you. Allah diverted whatever it may be. We don't realize this. And how many close calls are there? SubhanAllah, you look at this, you can YouTube these things, these videos of these close calls of people. It's incredible, SubhanAllah, the amount of just an inch over and this person would have died. Or this young kid, something would have happened to them. SubhanAllah, just today actually, in clinic, this boy comes and he was telling me about, he was trying to fix a pole up onto a trailer and then the pole fell down and he looked up. You know where the cut was? Right here. And I said, SubhanAllah, you are so lucky. I said, you should be eternally grateful for your vision. Because literally just a millimeter over, that would have been it. This is Allah's hifada. This is Allah's protection over people. But we don't focus on that. We focus on the times it goes wrong. Not the hundreds of times that everything went right and we were protected from so many things. You know, subhanAllah, even the, uh, the way the body is functions, people are astounded by how much health there is prevalent in the world because of how many ways everything could just go horribly wrong. Horrible mutations, clotting out of nowhere, whatever it may be. It's such a delicate system. And over 90% of the time, everything works out fine. And the few percentage of the times where it doesn't, that should make us realize to not take things for granted in terms of how everything is going so well for us. Okay. The last point here, and he is Al-Ali and Al-Azim. It concludes with two names of Allah. That Allah is Al-Azim, sorry, Allah is Al-Ali, which means He's the Most High. Most High in His essence, Allah is the Most High, Allah is above creation. Most High in His Quwa, in His Qudra, in His power, in His capability. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Ali. And of course, Allah is Al-Azim, Allah is great. Allah's greatness is something that permeates all of his names and attributes. And subhanAllah, we see this beautiful conclusion to this ayah, the transcendence of Allah, that those who are looking for real freedom in this world, the only way you will find true freedom. You know, in the West, there is this focus on freedom, finding freedom in this world. And they thought that freedom lied in politics. Why? Because they neglected the soul. They neglected the concept of the human spirit. Although they're starting to come back to this concept now. But the true freedom lies when you find something to attach yourself to that is beyond this world, that is above this world, and that is Allah. He is Al-A'la and He is Al-Ali. Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. 
When we make our prostration to the floor, it is the most freeing thing when you put your mind and your head on the ground and you connect yourself with Allah Azza wa Jal who is beyond this world. And you say, I'm only a servant of Allah and I bow down to no one else and nothing else in this world. I only serve my creator, my maker, my sustainer, Al-Hay, Al-Ladhi, La Yamut. Now, to conclude, and we come to the end of Ayatul Kursi. We come to the end of Ayatul Kursi. Now, I just want to conclude with a few points here about uh, some beautiful aspects of Ayatul Kursi. Some of you may be familiar with this, but there was a very beautiful pattern that was discovered within Ayatul Kursi. It's called ring composition. And this is the beautiful thing about the Quran. You think, oh, these are you know, a set of descriptions of Allah and they're not organized in any particular way. They're a set of descriptions of Allah. But you look in the patterns within this ayah, it's, it's actually incredible. So one of the ways is, like you said, it's, it's broken up into nine different statements, right? So if you look at it, the first is connected to the last, the second connected to the second last, the third connected to the third last, the fourth to the fourth last, and the fifth is the perfect middle. So what's the first phrase? Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al qayyum. Allah, there is nothing worthy of worship except Him. Al-Hayyul Qayyum. He is Al-Hayy and Al-Qayyum. These are names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are there, right? And how does Allah conclude it with? Wahuwa Al-Aliyul Azim. Names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first is connected to the second. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what's after? Al-Hayyul Qayyum. La ta'akhuduhu sinatun wa la nawm. Tiredness nor sleep overtakes Him. What's the second last? Protecting everything doesn't make him fatigued or tired. So the second is connected to the second last. Then the third is after la ta'akhudu wa What is the next one? Lahuma fil samawati wa ma fil ard. What's the third last one? To him belongs the heavens and the earth. His kursi extends over the heavens and the earth. Third connected to the third last. Then the fourth. What's after lahuma fi samawati ma fil ard? Man dalladhi yashfa'u indahu illa bi'idni. No one can intercede except with his permission. This idea that to Allah belongs ultimate authority and nothing can happen with it except his permission. What's the fourth last? Wala yuhaytun bi shay'in min ilmihi illa bima No one can learn anything or have any of his knowledge except for what he wills. Again, his authority. Illa bi'idni except for his permission. إِلَّا بِمَا Except by his will. So the fourth is connected to the fourth last. And then the middle is beautiful. Allah knows what's before and what's after. Beautiful. It's called ring symmetry. Where all of these are connected and then there's the middle point that's there. That's like the diamond, you can say, of the ring. The other pattern that you see as well is the alternation of general and specific. Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. Sorry, affirmation. And negation. Affirm. لا تأخذه سيرته ولا نوم. Negate. لهما في السماوات وما في الأرض. Affirm. من الذي يشفع له عنده إلا بإذني. Negate. يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما Affirm. And so on and so forth. It's negate. Affirm. ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء. Negate. وسير كرسي السماوات والأرض. Affirm. ولا يؤدو حفظهما. Negate. وهو العيد العظيم. Affirm. Look at the beautiful flow and the rhythm here. And then the beautiful thing as well, if you look at it, remember I said the first is connected to the last, second to second last, third to third last. The first is always general, is more general, and then the second is more specific. So 
Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. These are more general names. Everything goes back to them. Al-Ali al-Azim are specific names. La ta'khuduhu sinatun wa la nawm. No tiredness, no sleep overtakes him. The second last, the particular fatigue when it comes to protecting, that does not affect him. Specific. Lahu ma fi samawati ma fi ard. Tim belongs everything. General. Then, wasi'a kursiyu samawati wa ard. His kursi extends over everything. Specific. Then general. And then specific. When it comes to knowledge. Allah knows everything before and after. That is the middle one there. So you see this beautiful eloquence, you can say, of Ayatul Kursi, uh, which is uh, of the reasons, of course, it is the greatest ayah. It's beautiful in its structure. It's beautiful in its rhetoric. And of course, it's beautiful in its meaning and it carries incredible light. These nine statements and phrases, we have to see them as these lanterns that we are hanging on our hearts. These sources of light for us to be able to get through difficulties in our life and to be able to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on a deeper level. Jazakumallahu khairan, barakallahu feek. We'll end with that inshallah. And um, inshallah we will start Surah Al-Ikhlas. Surah Al-Ikhlas uh, next week. Insha'Allah, we will start Surah Al-Ikhlas.